Hello and welcome to the Stoked on Spokes Podcast. 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 Wait, like SOS? Well, it's about fights. Right, gear, races, community, and so much more. This is the Stoked on Spokes Podcast. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the 35th episode of the Stoked on Spokes podcast. This week's a little different. We went to the King CX UCI C1 C2 race this past weekend in Mason, Ohio to interview the top men in this weekend's field, Drew Dillman and Brandon Fix. And we also covered the race as media. So we were covering both elite races, both days. I joined up with Ryan Hayden, who's been on the show before, and... We covered a post-race analysis and also interviewed the top two racers from each individual race. I'm with uh, Brandon Fix. Brandon, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. And we're sitting here listening to the highway. So, <laughs> you know, it feels like uh, we're back at King's Cross. I mean, this is my, how long have we been at this venue? Seven years at this venue so far. So, wow. you know, I have some, I have some fond memories and I have some not so fond memories, but. Brandon, can you? For someone who doesn't know you are, can you please introduce yourself and give your bicycle background? Sure. I'm Brandon. I'm now 25 years old. I've been racing cross since I was 15. My first mount or my first national championships was in was in Madison, and I'm gonna butcher the year. I think 2013. You know, I grew up racing a steel bike with crappy tires, and you know, I I've been racing now at a UCI level since I was a first year 17, 18. I think my trajectory has been really slow and unnoticed to some as we've had some really rocketing performances as you know like juniors you know for we're sitting in ohio it's hard not to talk about someone like spencer petrov and people like ian mcshane and people like gavin haley all came out of this area and they were really talented riders as juniors and i was always kind of on that back end like sixth seventh and so i didn't get a lot of the attention but at the same time i think i in some ways had the opportunity to to follow through more with the sport because I didn't get burnt out by it as much as a kid. But this will be my third year as an elite this year. But, you know, as a U23, you race the elites a lot. So I would consider this my seventh year in the elite field and really kind of just trying to get better every year. And, you know, I think that's the name of the game is those little marginal improvements. And how's the season gone for you so far? It's been a season that I was unsurprised to start slow. Normally, I want to come into cross season as hot as I can. And this season has been probably my slowest start to a cross season ever. Not by choice, but by motivation. So I guess it's somewhat by choice. I just struggled this summer with with being on top of training and coming into the season hot. So it's been a season where I knew all along that it was going to be about building. And so every weekend, I've really focused on putting more pieces of the puzzle together and kind of putting myself on a trajectory where I can get to later in the season and feel like I still have a lot of energy and I'm feeling like I'm getting faster every race. And so it's been disappointing at times, but also what I expected. You know, some people talk about cross gets them in shape and maybe, you know, everyone wants to peak at a specific time. So maybe you're not starting off as hot as you want to. You're peaking later in the season, which might be good yeah that was that was it's something you tell yourself for sure of like man racing into shape is a thing in this sport because it is such an acceleration such a high octane sport where you're not creating a lot of fatigue every weekend and so you can race into shape 
but at the same time, you want to come in in your best possible shape to prove to yourself, like, I can do this and I can be with the front group. And so there's a little bit of mental leeway of, like, oh, I feel okay not being as fast as I could be because I have opportunity to build up and be faster later in the year. But then there's also the flip side of, wow, I really wish I were at the top of my game right now and to not be can also be detrimental. So I've been more on the positive end of the I feel good knowing that I'm going to get faster every weekend as opposed to, man, I'm not where I'm riding at at the level that I was last year. And that, you know, it's disappointing at times, but knowing that you're getting faster is a, is a big part of feeling confident about that. I'm going to say approach, but it wasn't really like a conscious choice to come in slower. But what are your goals for this season then? You know, when you started the season to compare to what are your goals now? So last season, my goals were to be consistent, and and that meant being in the top eight, top six every weekend. This season, I was hoping for similar early in the in the fall or in the summer, and then it kind of transitioned where I knew that wasn't going to be that. So my goal for this year was really to come to the later races of the year, still feeling like I had a lot of energy and motivation for the season. Last year, we did almost all the races. We skipped very few. And, and I got to the end of the season and it was time to go to Belgium and I knew like I'm not going to be able to go to Belgium mentally and so we didn't and it was kind of a cascading effect where last year the world selection was based on UCI points it was basically top 7 Americans are going to be on the UCI team I was the 8th American I got beat out for that selection by Caleb Schwartz and, and he's an amazing rider and he, he really backed that performance up at, at Nationals but if I would have gone to Europe racing the world cups you essentially get uci points for starting it would have put me in a position where then i would have been able to race worlds on home soil yada yada that was all by choice and i have no regret about that the thing that i do have regret about was getting to the end of the season and feeling burnt out and so my goal for this season long long way to give a short answer was to feel like i wanted to go to belgium at the end of the year because that's really what i love doing and is racing in europe and so I feel really mentally fresh right now, and we only have two American weekends left, <laughs> so that I'm doing at least. So I think that's a really good sign for my trajectory for what I wanted to achieve. Yeah, now I, I run my own team and get to travel the country with my dad and my, and my fiance Zoe, and sometimes our dog, she got a little anxiety this last trip, so she's staying at home now, and... I think, we, I think it's because we got a cat, and now she feels obligated to protect the cat at home. But it's been a pretty special journey to be able to do this with, with your family. Okay, so you talked about your team. What is Fix Racing, then? Fix Racing was a joke at first. You know, I think we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I was on Alpha Bicycle Company, run by Adam Rakabinski with, for a long time. And, and it was, you know, I re-signed with him after my U23 years as a first-year elite because we looked around and we were like, well... There's no money in the sport. There's no teams in the sport. There's no sponsors in the sport. So it was like, well, what are we going to do? I, I guess I'll start my own team and we'll just call it Fix Racing. You know, it's kind of a, in a lot of ways, it's a playoff Talladega Nights where it's the uh, the me racing at the end of the movie where he's got the mountain lion on the hood of the car and it just says me. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of that. But at the same time, it's kind of what I wanted for a long time was to have, you know, I it's fix racing it's not just me it's my dad matt fix my fiance zoe who will eventually take that last name as well so it's 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 a really familial ordeal which i think in the u.s has been kind of a foreign idea 
but in Europe, I mean, that's what this sport is. I mean, you have your mom washing your kid after the race. You have your dad in the pits with the pressure washer. You got, you know, your cousin working on your bike. So as much as it was a joke at the, at the start, it's kind of what this sport is. And it's really something that I've been blessed to, to have around me and be a part of. Talk about your time on Alpha Bicycle Company. <laughs> Man, there is so much to talk about with that. At some point, I do want to sit down with someone like Gage and I want to tell those stories and talk about it. You know, we did it for a little while with, with our podcast, which was a little more, you know, we were kids at the time. I say kids, it was only two years ago or three years ago. But those years kind of, you know, real life happens between 22 and 25. And, and I can look back and be like, oh, I guess I kind of was a kid. But but our years on that team, we both joined that team, me and Gage and, you know, one of my other really good friends of for a long time on that team was Katie Klaus. We all joined that team at the same time. And we were, Katie was 14, Gage was 17, I was 18. And the first year I was on that team, we just jumped in the van with Adam and as teenagers and drove across the country. Like we'd drive out to Cincinnati. <laughs> One year we drove to Cincinnati, drove home and then decided we were gonna go to the race in Louisville. So it was, <laughs> it was, um, <laughs> That was not a fun week, to say the least, everyone was upset. But it was really, people talk about development, but that was really an experience that helped me grow as a person. It wasn't just development in, in the sport of cycling, but it was how to be an adult in a lot of ways. Adam was a strong mentor, and, and he still is a strong mentor, but he didn't let us act like kids. You know, we, we had to pull our weight. You know, we took down the tents, we put up the tents. We were expected to help cook. We were expected to help do dishes. At no point did I feel like I was on a race trip with my parents because that wasn't the, the atmosphere that he was trying to cultivate. The atmosphere that he was trying to cultivate really came down to you have to be an adult to do this stuff, and so I'm not going to give you the option to fall back on your parents. And so that experience was, it grew you a lot. At times it was extremely frustrating because you spend enough time with people. You know, I was on that team for five years. You spend enough time with people and you, you're bound to start betting, butting heads about things and the way things should be done. But in a lot of ways, it's also some of the foundational principles of how this team's run, how professional we act, you know, expectations for the equipment to work, expectations of riders, staff. It was really, you know, it, it touches me to this day even of, of how I conduct myself and hold myself. And so I feel really blessed to have been on that team, but at the same time, it's the only team I've ever been on. So I, can't, I don't have much comparison, but I do, I do really think it was probably the best experience and choice at that time and, and continues to be for young riders. Well, obviously it meant a lot to you if you're still carrying over a lot of stuff you learned from Alpha. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that is ex it's such an experiential based sport of if you have a lot of knowledge it's because you've gathered over time and so it's hard to ignore people that have that knowledge because you do so at your own peril yes the sport is changing but fundamentally it's the same sport it was 20 years ago and so if you're talking to someone with that amount of experience if you ignore it like i said it's at your own peril and so adam's been doing it a long time you know he was danny summerhill's mechanic and so you know, Danny's a funny guy, but Danny achieved a lot. I mean, they saw a lot. And, you know, on top of that, too, Adam's a really professional mechanic. He's he's owned two bike shops. He runs a bicycle studio, which is a super high-end bike shop. And so he knows how to work on bikes, but he's also been around the sport a lot. And when you also bring in people like Jake Wells, you know, Jake 
had a solid elite career, but he's also now been in the sport for a really long time. You know, he transitioned out of an elite career into continuing to race. And so the experience that you gain from being around people like that, super invaluable. Not to say you couldn't do without it, but it really is a helpful tool. Like I said, when I was putting together my team to help guide some of the things that I wanted to build for the team. Okay. So what's obviously, so being in alpha, you're based, still based out of Colorado, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I grew up in Fort Collins and, and I've lived there my whole life. Okay. So what's it like riding in Colorado and the training you do? When I was a kid, it used to be just go tootle around on bike paths with friends and, and hit jumps and, you know, mess around. When I was getting a little more serious, it became some structured training and, and, my coach at the time really helped. He's still a big part of my life. I, I work for a junior program that he runs. And so to be a part of a community that was serious and, I, and then I would leave and go race and then come back and hang out with my friends and, and ride. And, you know, we have a Tuesday night race almost, man, at one point it was, it was literally like 22 weeks a year. We'd have a Tuesday night race in Fort Collins. And so you could get faster every weekend and you could learn a lot by riding with the people in town. And then at a certain point, you kind of graduate to the elite level. And all of a sudden, you're the dude that's helping teach kids how to how to race and, and follow your wheel. But most of the time, I mean, with living in Fort Collins, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're about 45 minutes from the Wyoming border. So you go out and you ride into a headwind and you turn around and you ride home in a tailwind. So, you know, it's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mindless training at times. But the fact that we have a strong community kind of outweighs some of the downsides of riding in Wyoming, essentially. Okay, so what did it mean, obviously, being on the same team as Gage Heck? I've had him on before. Your friendship, training together, what did what did you learn from that? <laughs> Gage still teaches me stuff every day. Whether it's valuable things, <laughs> that could maybe be uh, up for debate. But Gage has always been a, 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 a person of strong faith. And I do not come from a religious background. And so when we first started riding and racing together was really the year that I went to Tabor in the Czech Republic for world championships. That was 2015. But that whole 2014 season, Gage was riding for a team that was essentially sponsored by Adam at Alpha Bicycle Company. And it was called Alpha Bicycle Company, but it was not what that program is today. But we started riding a lot that year. We hung out a lot that year. And then we became teammates the next year. And so what happened was he was, we were both so young that our friendship wasn't necessarily based on shared interests. It was based on the fact that I think both of us had very little ego. The other kids in our sport at that time had a, had a significant amount of ego, which I think, I think would maybe surprise people. But I, I also think it's the reason kids get burnt out of the sport is because they are so amped on what they're achieving and what they could achieve. And, and they talk about, oh, I'm going to become a professional, yada, yada, that they dream so hard and, and so big that when real life starts to happen, they start to unravel more quickly. It's a little tangential, but I think that's, I think that's a big reason why Gage and I became friends is because we both, both had very little ego, which really helped us communicate when we didn't have shared interest. We could rely on each other to not, to be reliable people, if that makes sense. You know, we weren't trying to talk ourselves up over one another or compete between each other in a, in a hostile or negative way. Because like I said, we didn't have very many shared interests other than cycling. Gage was profoundly, you know, he was faith-based and 
I grew up at one point when I was a kid, I had my buddy shove a safety pin through my ear so I could have earrings. And so Gage and I kind of came from very opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how we moved around the world outside of cyclocross. But we came, we became very close. And as we got older, we talked more about, you know, his faith, my beliefs. We started to find more common ground other than lack of ego. It became more about helping each other to grow as individuals within each other's self-interest. You know, Gage got me into planes. Um, he has a private pilot's license. And I think I, I think I do a little more plane spotting than even he does. <laughs> nowadays you know i w while i was here i actually rode up to cvg the airport here and watched some planes land and you know that's an interest of, of his that kind of came to me you know he's into coffee now as much as he is frustrated by his reliance sometimes on coffee i think uh i, I got him into that and he can appreciate the you know the details of how acidic uh, an espresso is and and how forward some of the fruit flavors are and so we grew out of this place that was simply a friendship based on lack of ego into a friendship that is based on strong morality and now now shared interests, but really just a extremely positive friendship that I've never had a friendship like that where we came from completely opposite sides of the coin. And now, you know, I would, I would trust Gage with my life, you know, and, and I hope he would too, in terms of helping me make decisions around i would call him to self, help me solve problems and so i can't i can't thank adam enough for bringing gage and i together i think that was probably one of the most consequential relationships in my life and I'm, I'm i'm really blessed to have that as as part of my life all right so we're at kings currently compared to the first five weeks of the season a lot of the guys who were consistently in the top 10 aren't here so is it something that you're you're obviously hunting for points this weekend? Or are you hunting for that first podium of the season? What's your goals for this weekend? This weekend, I didn't really look at until last weekend, if that makes sense. You know, it's it's always been a consistent stop on the schedule, and so I put it on. I didn't have an expectation of, oh, I need some points. I don't. I need this. I need that. It was kind of like, well, we always go to Cincy, and we like going to Cincy, so we're going to go to Cincy. But then I looked at the race and who's here and, and what the course is this year. And I would say, yeah, it really kind of is about that first podium of the year. In a lot of ways, I think it'll, you know, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm really looking to get better every weekend. I'm really looking to get faster every weekend and feel like I'm improving every weekend. And I think, you know, even though the, what you could consider the top guys of the season aren't here right now, you know, Dillman's here. I mean, Dillman is... You know, he's been consistently fast. He's, he's made a lot of mistakes early in races that have put him back. But when he comes through the field, I mean, he's arguably probably doing some of the fastest laps of the day when he's coming through the field. So, you know, the level's still really high this weekend. But at the same time, I'm really looking for it to give me a confidence boost, even though I think no matter the result, I'll already feel like I'm progressing forward this weekend. All right. So can you please exchange to me, explain to me, what chicken ranching is you have some chickens in a barn and you take care of them and you're a rancher so you're just really <laughs> into that i wouldn't say really into it during the pandemic zoe and i got chickens at our old house and we had four and now we are up to 28 i think 
so it's really not it's not ranching in a traditional sense because it's not it's really not that challenging i, I would love to talk about how i'm you know a hard-working farmer or rancher or stuff it's really not that hard you kind of automate their food and water and you fill it once a week and they're pretty self-sustaining the only thing you really need to do is get their eggs every day otherwise they'll get broody and they'll sit on them and try to hatch them which technically we have roosters and so all our eggs are fertilized and so if a woman if, if a woman if a hen wants to sit on one she can and it, it'll hatch and we'll have a baby chicken that's kind of how we got to 27 arguably we're okay with going up to upwards of 50 they're low maintenance eggs are easy to sell and at some point we're probably going to start selling baby chicks because people really want backyard chickens of their own and you know it's something easy for us to do and it's they're they're some of the dumbest animals in the in the planet but they're fun to have and you know they cause chaos sometimes but we love having chickens what currently gets you stoked on bicycles so that's the hard one, right? And, and you did mention that when we, when we initially talked. And I would say during the summer, not a whole lot got me stoked on bicycles. But now that we're back doing this sport and seeing the community that Cross brings out, this is going to be a two-parter. One is a super you know, altruistic one, and then one's a super selfish one. I really love being a part of this community. I think you know, last weekend we went out to pizza after the race with Michael Vandenham and Cody and the whole Comp Edge team, and and just being a part of that community is super fun. I don't think you get that much in any other sport, where mainly because it's an individual sport, but you don't go out to the dinner with your competitors afterwards. And I think that's a really special thing where we can go out to dinner and we can laugh and have a really good time, and and then we can race hard against each other on the race course. That part, you know. You always forget about it, and then you come back to it, and you realize, wow, I really love that. On the flip side, the other thing that gets me really stoked is <laughs> the setup around cross. Talking about tire pressure, talking about tread pattern, talking about equipment setup, talking about <laughs> approaches to corners. I love that stuff. The technical aspect is, I, I don't know if it's, because I'm not a data-driven guy necessarily, but the idea that you can improve just by discussing and talking about certain things around the bike and around the course is so it's so geeky and i could talk for hours about you know i could talk about tpi and tires but it's really one of the things that gets me stoked to you know on a friday maybe not on the weekend because you're super focused but on a friday you know talking about line choice and getting super geeky i love that well brandon thanks for joining me today any last words? No, I don't have any. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Drew Dillman, how are you doing today? Swell. Okay, so we're here at Cincinnati. Actually, let's first start off. Uh, Drew, can you introduce yourself and give me your bicycle background? Yeah, I'm Dizzle from Louisville, Kentucky. Fun fact, I've grown, I've lived in the same one mile radius my entire life besides the four years I was at Marion up in Indy. Little town called Fairdale, love that place. Yeah, just really good riding, grew up there, so moved right back there. I've got a wife, CJ, a one-year-old, Andy Taylor, who they're, they're here this weekend. It's nice on these close weekends, they can join, join in. So yeah, I got into racing as a kid. My mom worked at a bike shop there in town. I, was, I just hung out with the local mechanics, really. They took me out mountain biking. So I started out mountain biking for like four years, and eventually the local junior team, Red Zone Cycling, I guess saw me. I, I don't know how they would have seen me. I sucked back. But they saw me at some race and recruited me, and then they showed me what cyclocross was and what road racing was. And 
kind of developed me into the rider that I am now, I'd say, yeah. And that's Red Zone that eventually came, what, Team Louisville and then... Revo Devo. But it's yeah. mainly a Nike team now, right? Yeah, it's like a weird... Louisville's been through ups and downs and phases, and right now I feel like we're definitely on a down. Like, the jun- there's not a big junior scene. The Team Louisville that used to be a big junior team is no longer around, and there just doesn't seem to be that many young riders coming out of Louisville like there were 10 years ago. Like, when I was on Red Zone, we took... One year to cross nets, I feel like we took like 20 kids. We had a trailer. We had like a whole bus of kids. And now there's just a few that do some mountain biking in the summer. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what why that is. You know, to see Lionhearts and Midwest Evo thriving is really cool. It'd be nice to see that happening in Louisville. I don't know what, you know, if there's something that I can do to help that. But I'm having kids. I've got a kid. So in five years... She'll be out there. <laughs> well, it, it really doesn't help that, you know, Eva Bayman doesn't have a race anymore. We're not doing Derby City Cup like we used to for that UCI. I mean, mm-hmm. to have a good juniors program, you also need events. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've thought about when I saw that Jingle was canceled this year, my first thought was perfect time to bring back the Louisville UCI race. And I, I thought about it for about a week. And then I was like, I'm also trying to run a team and run a coaching company and race myself. <laughs> so I don't think adding being a race promoter to that list of things would be a good idea. So I put that on the back burner. So how has your year gone so far for the cyclocross season? It's going good. I tend to like build into the season. So the first couple weekends I was a little disappointed. I was like hoping to be right in the front group with Curtis and Carrie and all those guys. But I think Trek and Fayetteville went really well, despite some bad events happening, kind of set me back. In both of the World Cups, I got, yeah, I don't know, I was basically starting like a minute behind everybody else. It's like everybody else started and then I started basically because of crashes and stuff like that. But I was very happy with where the legs were after both of those races, you know, especially at Fayetteville, which was the last race that I did last Sunday, crashed over the barriers, dropped my chain, like a full yard sale, like bottle went flying, glasses went flying chains off so i'm sitting there fiddling with all this stuff and it's like 45 seconds before i'm back on my bike i can't even see the last rider i mean i guess pim the the dude that broke his chain was still behind me but he was behind me and i couldn't see anybody in front of me so for that to happen like a minute into the race you're like well it's gonna be one of those days and i fought all the way back to 23rd and my best world cup result ever is 21st and so having had that bad of misfortune on the first lap and almost you know, come close to my best result, I think that's like a definitely a good sign at the end of the day. So what are your goals this season? Is to be up with the guys you've mentioned? Oh yeah, I think so. Um, I see myself racing with those guys. I think it's just a matter of time when I'm getting there. I think a big thing I lack is probably the confidence to like put myself in that group because they've they've just always raced up there. Me, I'm kind of like coming from that second group to, to be in that first group. So there's definitely like a a little bit of lack of confidence that I think I need to develop. Weekends like this will be great for that. You know, like a lot of those front front runners aren't here this weekend. So that really gives me an opportunity to maybe make something awesome happen. So hopefully that'll help build some build some confidence. This was the first year running this team ignition. I think the big goal for the team, which also includes me and my results, is for all three of our elite riders, me in the men's race, Hannah Arnsman in the women's race, and Gus in the juniors race, to have all three of us top three podium at nationals is kind of like that would be the pinnacle goal for the season. But planning to go to Europe to do the Christmas block, that might be like a last two raw because I 
the kid's only getting older, so I'm only going to be spending more and more time at home with her. So I think getting to Europe is going to get harder and harder from here on out. So this is probably like my last, last trip to Europe and last, last bid at trying to make the world's team and all that. And then I'll still race. I'm not saying I'm still going to keep racing and pursuing racing at, at the highest of levels. It's just going to get harder and harder to travel to Europe to do that. So probably just focusing on U.S. stuff after the season. Okay, so you kind of mentioned this weekend. So like you said, there's only really two two guys who have raced consistently in the top 10 here this weekend. What are your goals for this weekend? Is it to finally get that first season podium? Is it to finally get that first season win? I've been talking about this all week because uh, I hadn't looked at the registration until like Tuesday. And then I was like, whoa, like nobody's registered <laughs> i kept checking it all the way till 8 p.m on wednesday when it closed and it was still the same roster and i'm like dang like to go from racing to hopefully get a top 20 at a world cup to to racing for the win uh which i think is the goal this weekend is is like huge i've never shown up to a uci race thinking wow i'm, I'm like i have a chance to win this race no like, there's always like a glimmer of like oh well if everybody else crashes maybe i'll win but with curtis and those front guys it's like it's just the, in those situations is it's like i'm gonna have to pull off something really crazy to win this race but today it's almost like i see it as i'm gonna have to make some big mistakes to not be in that battle for the win so it's definitely cool i've never even been on a c1 podium i've only been on a handful of c2 podiums so to show up to a c1 you know thinking i might win is like totally something i've never never interacted with so it's pretty cool well i am working media for this weekend i'm the the prime media person so hopefully i do get the chance to talk to you a couple more times this weekend um which is the goal i mean besides you and brandon it's everyone else really hunting for just points period because they Mm -hmm. probably haven't had much of a chance this year yeah i think jules van kempen will be there too he's raised pretty strong I've, i've found myself of all the people on the start list i've found myself racing close to brandon and jules multiple times so yeah and and then you know since we're all starting at the front i think that'll play into my favor too like all that first lap chaos hopefully i can avoid and i can just be there and not have to like work my way through and burn matches to get to the front hopefully i'll just be at the front which means i'll be more fresh when it comes to the race you'll actually have those matches to burn for once instead of you like I was talking to your mechanic, Mr. Patatic, and he was saying, you know, it seems like everything that's gone wrong this season is this season compared to other yeah. years. Right. Yeah. So hopefully hopefully it's, that doesn't happen today. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about the team. What officially is the team name? I just want to make sure I yeah. get it right. Ignition for short, but the official, like when we sign up for races, is Ignition powered by Rigged Leitner. Uh, Ignition is just the coaching company that I started, and then Rigged Leitner are two two just cool companies. They both are like in the automobile industry. They make like aftermarket auto like truck parts. Like Rigged makes these really sweet. They just came out with a really sweet bike rack, and they have a, this thing called an Ultra Swing where it swings out to where you can still open up the back doors or the the hitch to your car or truck or whatever. Uh, but they just came out with a r- wicked sweet bike rack that hopefully they'll be sending one my way so I can actually show you how wicked sweet it is. But they said when they released that rack that it was the only rack that was designed for off-road truck like exploring. So you could put your bike on the back and not have to worry about it getting destroyed when you when you take your truck off of off-road, <laughs> which is nuts. And then the other one, Leitner, they make these truck truck bed systems that go over your truck bed. I have one out on my truck to bring to all the races to show off. So, so that's pretty cool. And they both are just outdoorsy companies. They both wanted to support cycling kind of in the same dimension. So yeah, it's pretty cool to have those not 
they're, they're somewhat they're not cycling industry companies so it's kind of cool to have sponsors that aren't within the cycling world sponsoring a team like this so yeah and this is the first year that the team's been around me and a guy named kurt dossier um, i've coached him for a couple years he's helping me run it and he's getting me connected to sponsors and stuff like that like he's connected me to both rigged and leitner and a couple other smaller sponsors and then i've got some connections like I race for the Texas Roadhouse cycling team in the summer, so they support the cross team. So it's really just trying to, like, for lack of a better term, like milk all the all the avenues that I can to put together, a, you know, a cross team. And this year is the first year that I've tried to like bring on other riders to help benefit them as well. So we've got Gus Bretetic, Hannah Arsman, two Masters guys, and another female, Emily Leonard. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. I had so much fun this summer racing on the Texas Roadhouse team because it was a team and there was people to be around and you're traveling together that I, you know, I started to get pretty excited about transferring that over into cyclocross by having a team and having that atmosphere. So, um, so yeah, it's been fun. So what is the team? Has it taught you really anything or is it just kind of brought back that, you know, positive vibes of being around more people? It's definitely taught me that it's more than I thought it was like making sure everybody's bikes work and having all the wheels situated and registering for races and parking and all this stuff. Cause I'm doing all that. Plus, I'm showing up to race. And so, you know, not only now, in, in all the years past, it's like I show up, I'm totally 100% focused on my race. And now I'm showing up and I'm focused on Gus's race. Then I'm focused on Hannah's race. And once she starts her race, then I focus on my race. And until then, I'm kind of like all over the place. So it's it's been a little bit hard to like really get focused in and, and focus on racing when it comes time for, for me to get focused. But I don't think I would change it. I think uh, I think I like it better this way than just showing up by myself, doing it on my own. Um, it's definitely more fun with people. Obviously, the title sponsor, Ignition Coaching, which is something you started, right? Yeah, me and Dylan Johnson. You might know him from YouTube as well. He's got a, a pretty decent following. Me and him had raced, actually, like years before he started the YouTube channel. So I didn't just like randomly message him and say like, oh, yeah, let's start this coaching company together. Like it kind of been in the works for like a year because he was working at CTS. He was thinking about leaving. He knew that I coached on my own. So he actually called me and was like, hey, how do you do that? Like, how do you coach not for a company? So I gave him all the information that I could to get him started. And that was right when his YouTube channel was really taken off. And so so he made that transition. And then I was like, you know what, me and you, we should like we should team up and do something. And that was in like April of 2020. And then finally in like December of 20, no, 2019, Maybe no, no, it was 2020, and then December of 2020, I finally like put it all together, like, put all the pieces together. I was like, this is what we need to do. So we came up with this idea, Ignition Coach Co. Me and him, we're gonna found it and develop racers into coaches. There's all of these junior and U23 development teams out there. You can look around all the tents out here, bunch of juniors, bunch of U23s. I think that's awesome, but what our sport lacks is once you age out of that U23 and you're a first year elite, what also happens that year? You move out of your parents' house, you start, you graduate college, you're looking for a real job, you've got bills, nobody's really helping you pay those bills. And tack on top of all of that, now you're not a U23, so your U23 team kicks you off and you've got to figure it out on your own. So that kind of happened to me, not that extreme, but like, so, so I think like all of those things tack up and then you look at our elite field and there's not that many racers in the elite field compared to the junior races. So where are all these racers going? And I think there's a fall off point right there when they, when they graduate out of those, when they graduate into that elite category, when you could argue they need the most support and they're not getting it. So ignition 
part of why ignition exists is to give those racers an opportunity to make income so that they can keep racing and pursuing the sport because that's like the only reason why i'm still in the sport is because i picked up coaching and found out that i loved it and wanted to just grow it and grow it so if i can carry that over and and give that same you know option or opportunity to some other racers and see them keep developing into the sport that's pretty cool uh, and then also, you know, even just the athletes we coach, we want to, you know, we want to provide a top notch science based like coaching approach, which is just exactly what Dylan does through his YouTube channel. That's what I'm trying to do through my YouTube channel of just being as best of coaches that we can. So we're trying to carry all that over into Ignition Coach Co. If people are interested, they can obviously go to the website, ignitioncoachco.com, their, you know, Instagram, all that stuff. So it's super exciting. We've got, we now have 15 coaches and they're all like elite level racers, like Lance Hayden, who's at all these races, races for Legion. Like, that's pretty legit. He's one of our coaches. Scott McGill, who was our first coach we ever brought on, and the only reason we hired him was because he was Dylan's roommate at the time. So it was like, well, okay. Like, if if, if, the, if the company fails, it won't be that big of a deal because it's just your roommate, you know? But look at him. He's like, he's made the Cross Worlds team. He was at Road Worlds a couple weeks ago. Like, he's just, like, tremendously, like, done all this awesome stuff. And it's, I'm not going to, to toot our own horn i will a little i feel like we maybe have helped him a little bit because he's been coaching the whole time and that's extra income in his pocket and so it's cool to like be able to say wow i have a part in that even not not a big part i'm not saying that but it is cool to be a part of that you know and to feel like okay i'm helping him go places it's pretty cool so yeah 15 coaches i don't know how many athletes we have i think you know We've got to be approaching maybe 150 total athletes spread across. So if you had asked me two years ago that if it was going to be this successful, I don't know what I would have said. And it's fun. So you add all that together, and I'm like, I'm just totally stoked on Ignition Coach Co. Okay, so let's talk about the YouTube videos. What currently, for the most part, started as kind of your own coaching videos, right? Where you kind of break down different things, uh, break down goals, break down words that people might understand and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're getting into these race analysis going off of you know probably the, the gopro you're shooting off of what your wife is shooting for video content also how has the youtube page grown and developed and what do you love about it most yeah the youtube thing started out as uh i was like well dylan's got like 120,000 subscribers so why don't i just copy exactly what he does and all of his subscribers will subscribe to me and unfortunately that got kind of old kind of quick i'm like i don't I, I just didn't feel original like i was copying i mean it was different i wasn't doing mine weren't as science-based as his mine were a little bit more i read a lot more books than articles so a lot of mine were quotes from books and his are just straight science articles which isn't my thing and those were cool and i liked those and those were beneficial for me and a lot of people said they got benefit from those, but now I've kind of transitioned into like, now I just do these race analysis videos where, yeah, I basically just record the races that I start. So a lot of crits, a lot of cross races, which is perfect because a GoPro battery only lasts about 90 minutes. So that's perfect. I found that out the hard way at Road Nats. It, it died pretty early into that race. I thought I was like turning it on and off, but I got all out of sync, so it didn't work. So yeah, now it's kind of transitioned into this these these race analysis videos where I just go back and watch the race, which is beneficial for me because I'm learning the mistakes that I'm making. I'm seeing the things that other people are doing well, and that totally carries over into my own racing, which is pretty cool. Like for example, at Roanoke, first race weekend of the season, on day one I started on the far left and got pinched so hard on the inside. And when I went back and watched the GoPro footage before day two, 
I saw this huge opening. And if I had started like two or three spots to the right of where I started, I would have just had this huge opening to shoot. So the second day I started more to the right. And as we went around the first turn, I did exactly what I thought and like moved up instead of getting pinched on the inside. So like, that's pretty cool. Like that was a huge benefit for me. I can go back and learn from those videos. But I mean, it's growing like a decent rate. I think I've got like, I'm approaching 3000 subscribers, which is nothing like Dylan status. But I think it's one of those things where as it grows, it grows faster and faster, I'm hoping. And I like doing it. It is pretty time consuming and there's not, there's not any direct like, I don't know, payback right now. Like it's not monetized or anything yet. So like YouTube isn't cutting me a check. That'd be nice, but it's not happening yet. So. I'm hoping that if I keep doing it, maybe that'll happen. But I think there, the, the potential is definitely there. Like, I'm so good, such good friends with Dylan now that I see the potential of what YouTube can do for you from a business standpoint, from an athlete standpoint, from everything. So um, just sticking with it for long enough for that to happen would be cool. Because I've talked to some junior parents and they're they're talking about you know no offense to carrie warner but his vlogs are cool but they're not about you know that race experience and that learning experience they're more you know fun same with kayla schwartz's right now mm -hmm. but your your youtube videos are very very educational yeah especially if you want to learn and develop like i told you before the snake alley crit video i think was phenomenal thanks and it helps that when you win <laughs> the video the video does better if i win the race that definitely helps but you know definitely like even looking at your your videos from waterloo and fayetteville of you know things happen and you got to find a way to fight back and you got a little counter of you know how many people have passed yeah um, i don't like that that's like not a, when i have to do that i'm like oh i guess it's gonna be another one of those videos where i'm counting half the people i pass i'd rather just be at the front and not have to pass people <laughs> right. but yeah i mean it's yeah i when I started doing YouTube, there's two approaches. You can do it to entertain or you can do it to educate. And I, as soon as I was starting to think about doing YouTube, I knew that I wanted to go the education path. Well, also the fact that you've been doing, you've been putting out little videos too, like you just did for uh, Fayetteville of this is how everyone on the team did. I mean, obviously mm. you want your, your sponsors to see that you're providing them something. Yep. I mean, obviously your own individual videos, you know, have their own reason, but the fact that you're, you know, keeping people updated on the entire team is phenomenal too, because I think that's yeah. extremely important as people want to follow the program and as sponsors want to see some value. Yeah, that's exactly why I started those. I've been calling them crossfire. I don't know if that's clever or cheesy, but I'm rolling with it. Those crossfire episodes, those are like 100% designed because then I, to send to my, to send to the team sponsors to say, here's what you're sponsoring be a part of it and at the end of the season they feel like they hopefully they feel like they know the riders i'm trying to like interview the riders so that they you know because they're not at these races they they barely know me they have no idea who gus or hannah is and so if they can get to know the people on the team and then next year we come back and ask for more money <laughs> and maybe they feel like oh yeah we loved those videos we feel like we're part of the team like we want to support this yeah i've been watching a lot of them lately and it seems like there's a good amount of gus but it seems, doesn't seem like there's much hannah there's a very practical reason to that and that's because hannah races right before me <laughs> so i can i can i can be here to fo uh, video gus's race and interview him but as soon as Hannah like starts, I'm back here getting ready for my race. Well, maybe so you need a, a maybe you just need some Hannah personality thrown in. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I I should get Gus to interview her, do something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've noticed that too. But that's like just practical. We haven't figured it out logistically. So over the years, you've kind of got a really good consistency when it comes to nationals. I mean, I remember in Louisville, you got fourth place, but you've had a good track. And I think it was like a four year span where it was like fourth through sixth place mm -hmm. of that consistency. But 
what do you think about that and what does it take to you know break that yeah it'd be nice to break that yeah the first elite nats i ever did was in louisville i took a couple years of no nationals and so to get fourth there my first elite nats a home home track basically it would have been awesome to been on the podium had gage heck raced the u23 race i would have been on the podium not to take that away from him yeah that was definitely like i think of that louisville nationals as probably like one of the best races i've ever had it was just so much fun i was racing with jay pal for like half of the race me and him were just duking it out back and forth so i'm racing with this legend racer everybody in louisville is cheering for me as i go by like it was just one of the coolest experiences and then yeah tacoma after that was sixth i don't even know where nationals were last year but i got sixth there too chicago yeah i got sixth there too so yeah i mean it'd be nice to like crack that podium that's definitely the goal this year i think this year i probably i think this year is looking like the best chance of that happening so far so you've also become a mentor obviously to gus Pratatic because mm-hmm. he's on your team but in one of your videos late i think it was at rochester you were saying there goes lucas steerwald i taught him everything yeah, yeah um, what right. does it mean to be a mentor to these guys i mean i have like so many guys in my life that outside of cycling who have like poured so much time into me like shown me what it means to be a good dad a good husband a good family man and i've spent so much time with with these guys so it, it's definitely like i'm i'm taking what they've done with me and i'm like man i want to be that for other young guys so how can i do it in cycling and i mean like seriously like gus and lucas are easy like i genuinely like hanging out with them um so it's easy to like be around them and hang out with them and teach them just you know i I don't know how much i'm teaching them but i'm i'm just trying to hang out with them and if anything rubs off on them hopefully it's that you know if you stick with it long enough you'll get better and better like i didn't it's a lot of like 12th place one year and then 10th place the next year and 8th place the next year but if you stick with it eventually you get there it just takes a really long time so i mean i enjoy i don't want to just race and be focused on me getting results like at the end of the day who cares if i got fourth place at nationals five years ago you know but if i can like spend time with spend some good quality time like developing other riders and showing them what it means to be a good athlete a good role model all of that that's going to go a lot further than i think results i mean i know i I, the athlete in me like is so focused on results and performance and all that so it's it's definitely like figuring out how to balance those two things yeah when i was talking to gage heck uh, earlier this year and we were interviewing with lucas sterwald we were talking about athletes in action Mm. and how much that means to to gage and lucas and can you kind of mention what athletes in action means to you yeah so athletes in action is like a christian group of cyclists that was started it started like 10 or 12 maybe even 15 years ago specifically for elite riders that couldn't get involved with like a local church because they travel so much for racing like where am i going to be tomorrow not at church i'm here going to be racing my bike so you're, you're missing that community aspect of church life so a guy named todd hendrickson was like i'm just gonna make it myself and we're gonna make it in the cycling world and the unfortunate thing is that it's all virtual you know like there's guys in europe who are who are there on the world tour teams and there's guys here racing like cross every weekend and so a lot of it is virtual but but it's still cool to have that community of believers who who can encourage each other you know like even last weekend at the world cup i didn't know T- tim and Rug from switzerland i've raced with him for like five six years he's the same age as me we've raced for many years together had no idea he was a christian maybe maybe it's a, maybe it's a new thing i don't know but i got to like meet with him last weekend and pray with him before the race and to do that 
I think, you know, it kind of like resettles you or refocuses you like right before a world cup when everything is so focused on me and getting results and this and that to take like a second to pray with somebody that lives on the other side of the country who's probably going to beat me by multiple minutes in the race, like to take a second and for me and him to like pray to God and, and focus on that is huge for me. I mean, if, if anybody is close to me, they know that my faith is like the number one thing in my life and I want it to be that way. I want to be as bold as I can with my faith without, you know, pushing people away from me as well. So that's like a hard, hard line to draw. It's just, yeah, it's important. So I don't want to like, I don't want to be this Christian that like nobody even knows I'm a Christian. I definitely want people to like know that that's important to me and I'm not going to compromise that. So having AIA there is awesome. You know, like we can meet together, you know, it's a small group, but it's a good group of guys that we can keep each other focused even when we are racing week in and week out. You mentioned, I think in one of your last videos that you have a favorite heckle, which is dad Watts. Yeah. What are dad Watts to you? So I've actually thought about doing a, a YouTube video. I'm probably going to at some point on the science behind the dad Watts. It may be a little bit more. Uh, funny. There's probably not any actual scientific evidence out there about that, but I can make it up. I think it's cool. I don't. I don't. I don't know anybody. Stephen Hyde had a kid, but the same year he had a kid, he also retired. So, and I'm not planning on retiring. I think that's who I am. Like I'm a dad now. I love being a dad. My kid is here. She's asleep like five feet from us, um, and I love that. Like I love being a dad. I love being a bike racer, and I'm going to do both for as long as I can. So when I hear other people, like when I hear people cheering for that on like while i'm racing i don't know it just like amps me up because like all these guys that are beating me aren't probably aren't dads and so like i don't know it just motivates me because i'm like i don't know like i mean i'm sure they're all busy guys i'm not saying that but there's an aspect of like i'm a dad and they're not so maybe they don't i don't know i don't want to say too much but (laughs) it's like one extra thing that's on my plate that isn't on any of their plates and i'm and so far, I, th- I think I'm handling it all pretty well, being able to race and train and coach and still hopefully she thinks I'm being a good dad to her. I think I am so far. So, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why that just motivates me, gets me pumped. Drew, what currently gets you stoked on bikes? That's a good question. Man, so many things. I feel like this whole podcast, I've been talking about things that get me stoked. I think the biggest thing for me, and I'm, it's always going to, I think, go back to my faith. There's a really, actually, my favorite Bible verse is Colossians 3.23, and it goes something like, everything you do, do wholeheartedly as for the Lord and not for men. And the cool thing about that Bible verse is it doesn't say what you should be doing. It just says, do everything with all of your heart. So if that means being a lawyer, if that means being a dad, if that means being a coach, a bike racer, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, just do that as best as you can with all of your heart and to do it for the glory of God. That I hopefully is my, is what I'm stoked on right now. Hopefully that's what I'm stoked on in five years, 10 years from now. If I quit bike racing altogether, hopefully that, that Bible verse is still getting me stoked on whatever else I'm doing for the rest of my life. Uh, So that's, yeah, like I feel like that's definitely, that's the drive behind everything is, is like, I want to be doing what I'm doing not for the praise of men or to be recognized or anything like that, which in the world we live in is very tempting with social media and like YouTube's like an easy trap. It's like, Oh man, only 500 people watch this video. What the heck? Like I thought this would get 5,000 views. You know, it's very easy to fall into that trap of like, what am I, what am I actually doing this for? And for me, hopefully the answer is always I'm doing this for the glory of God. 
Yeah, because Gage earlier was talking about it's really easy to get lost in results. Mm-hmm. And he said that's something that he's you know struggled with a little bit. You know, it's it's easy to say I always want to win, I always want to get this place or something like that, and get lost in that. Well, Drew, thanks for joining me today. Any last words? No, uh, thanks to my wife. She's awesome. I can't you know can't even begin to how uh, just it's, just explain how supportive she is. She's a former bike racer as well. She's won a couple of collegiate national champs on the track, so she gets it and she's totally supportive like i I think she wants to see me win nats just as bad as i do so a huge thanks to her huge thanks to my family like my mom taking me to like all those hundreds of bike races for years not knowing what was going to end up of it she was just yeah she knew that i liked it and she took me and now it's like become a whole career path and everything so definitely thanks to my wife my family and all the people that have just supported me for all the years i wouldn't be here without tremendous yeah, the, the list goes on and on of all the people who have helped me get to where i am today so i yeah i'm extremely thankful for everybody even if it was just little things and now time for our post-race analysis and interviews with the top two from each field each day we're at cincinnati <laughs> the day one saturday c1 i'm joined by ryan hayden ryan how are you i'm doing excellent so we just finished up our women's C1 race and literally strong pack racing for the first lap or so. But on the second lap, Caroline Mani starts putting a little bit of a dig. Lizzie Gonzalez did get the whole shot, but on the se- second lap, Caroline starts putting in a dig and, and and basically gets a gap on the field, right, Ryan? That's right. She uh, she she put the pressure down and uh, didn't know if Lizzie could hang and, you know, come to find out she couldn't. But both had a great race. The race for second and third I thought was... Uh, best part of the race well caroline gets away uh lizzie gonzalez starts uh, messing with jenna linwood uh battle for second place for most of the rest of that race and then with gosh oh under a lap to go lizzie finally puts in a dig gets in second place her best ever c1 jenna linwood gets a uh, third place right yeah yeah they both had a solid race and it was uh, good to see them kind of stay together throughout the race battle back and forth each take pulls and lizzie came out on top and uh, congrats to her well, let's talk about today. Today's literally, this is not usual kings. This is dry. There's no, it's dusty. There is dust everywhere, and I don't know what's going on. There, there, there's a terrible drought, and we don't like it. With basically kings almost always having at least one super mutter day, this is weird. We're not going to see any water this weekend. We're literally getting drier and drier as the races go on. Oh, it's also uh, important to say it's almost 80 degrees out as well. It's It's... Not your typical Kings weekend. So, uh, battle for fourth place eventually develops between Hannah Aaronsman and Emily Warner. And literally, it looked like they were group riding for most of the race after the splits started to happen. Yeah, it did. Uh, they they kind of did uh, the same thing as uh, Lizzie and uh, Jenna. And they uh, just kind of battled back and forth, you know. One, one would pull for a while, and the other one would sit on the wheel and follow, you know, do a little recovery. But, li- and, uh, but literally, the result doesn't happen until the last climb, the end. Emily goes into the barriers with the lead, probably about a one-second gap, and Hannah comes around on that finishing stretch, just powering right past Emily. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I was watching it from a little far from where you were, but yeah, it, it looked like she was just kind of standing still. You could tell she was putting some power down, but just didn't have it. It ended. So, for our uh, women, C1 on Saturday, it's first place Carolina Moniz, second place Lizzie Gonzalez, third place Jenna Linwood, fourth place Hannah Aaronsman, and fifth, Emily Warner. All right, so Caroline, how'd the race go today? 
pretty good. I mean, I was testing Lizzie a little bit because she was, uh, I mean, those young uh, racers, they're really fast, like the first, they can hold for quite a bit. So I was testing and I could tell that she was back and forth. I'm like, at some point it's just gonna, you know, create a gap. And then I just uh, was trying to be clean and have a decent gap. So if I was making a mistake, I'd, I wouldn't panic and be catched. So it's pretty good. And your, is good. And your gap started basically at the beginning of the second lap. And then from then you were just able to hold that. Yeah, I was trying to, uh, you know, uh, be clean and consistent and not go too hard because it's easy to make a mistake here. So you have to like work on your line and make sure sometimes you are willing to lose a little bit of time but not make a mistake. So it's good practice for sure. So is it good to get another C1 win since Go Cross? Yeah, it's another mortgage payment. That's why I call it. So it's always good. So I'm with Lizzie Gonzalez. Lizzie, last year you went uh, went to your best C1 podium ever here at Cincy. Now second place. Yeah, I had a very good day on the bike. You were getting the whole shot. You kind of were playing with Caroline for a little bit, and then a gap opened up, and you were still able to hang out with Jenna and eventually get second place. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the course today? It's very dry and dusty compared yeah. to what Kings ever is. Yeah, it doesn't really matter for me like what the conditions are at Kings. I have a tendency to do a little bit better on courses with less diesel engine power and more just like high technical speed and a few punchy sections just with high power and Kings has always been a very good course that suits my abilities so I knew that coming in and kind of just told myself that after Caroline had kind of gotten a gap it was tough because I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to beat her if I was behind her and I just didn't have the ability to get around and make her race my race so at that point I kind of just settled in to see who could get with me and um, Jenna ended up bridging up to me and I had never raced with her before so I kind of took a lap to figure out her strengths and basically figure out how to beat her and just race my race on this course because that's how you do well here. We've talked before about how you just feel comfortable and you just go. So is it good to finally get up, put everything together and get a good finish like today? Yeah, for sure. I was a little bit nervous coming in just because I've been really tired from all the racing that I'm doing and I came off a really big uh, block with the U.S. World Cup. So. Yeah, I, I'm very excited with how today went, and I'm looking forward to some rest after this. Men C1 on Saturday. Honestly, Ryan, it was pretty much a done deal at the start. Drew Dillman gets the whole shot and just goes away. Yeah, it wasn't uh, much of a race for uh, Dillman. He uh, kind of just did his own thing out there and never looked back. The rest of the race was pretty flipping awesome, though. The rest of the race was pretty phenomenal. I was talking to Drew earlier about the fact that just he's had bad crashes. He's had rough things happen this year, and finally, for once, he finally got to put this away. And like I was saying before, only two guys have had top tens this entire season. So for Drew to finally put it all together and win a C1, which is his first ever C1 podium period, plus his first ever C1 win. Yep, yep, and, and congrats to, to Dizzle, Forrest Gump, uh, got the dad watch going today. Couldn't be happier for him, but uh, he put a, a solid effort in today. I'm happy for him. So talking about the rest of the field, we literally had a battle for second place almost the entire race, minus the last two and a half laps. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, uh, Brandon Fix was on the front there uh, for a little bit, you know, not the front, but uh, second place. He kind of popped off, and then you had a group of, I don't know, you, six or seven You people. had a group that included Sam Brown, Jay Money, Mark Miles, and uh, Jules Van Kemp for, gosh, three or four laps. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, the two alpha guys, you know, they kind of started working together, looked like a little bit, and I'm not sure, was it Jules that got off the front? You know, he attacked, and 
And Mark, you know, he knew that was his time. He had to go. He had to go. And he went, chasing down. And and then somehow between now and then, Mark just passes Jules at some point and just goes with two la- with two and a half laps to go and holds literally an eight to ten second gap the rest of the race for second place. Yeah, he put in a solid attack and he knew that's what he had to do at that point in time with the two alpha guys together. And wow, I couldn't be happier for him as well. And it's safe to say that literally since he, day one, men's UCI is for the Kentucky boys. Yeah, absolutely. One and two. I don't know where uh, uh, Brown's from, you know, uh, but but seeing two Kentucky guys that I've raced with before and and have always uh, been lapped by them in every race that I've been in, you know, to see them on a a C1 podium, I, I, I couldn't be happier for all of them. Okay, and then, yeah, after Mark goes, it's literally a race between Sam Brown and Jay Money. And literally, I think Sam Brown pretty much got it at the, uh, at within, gosh, by the barriers before the end of the race. Yeah, I believe that's what, uh, what happened. And, uh, you know, him and, him and, uh, Jay Money, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they stuck together there. They were trying to chase Mark. Uh, they could never reel him back in. You know, they got they got kind of close to him, but they just didn't have the legs. It was a good race between uh, them two. Fifth place local guy, literally three, two miles away, Lucas Steerwalt, last row call up, all the way up to fifth place finish. Yeah, he put in a great day today. Uh, and that's just wild to think, uh, starting on the back row and working your way up making those attacks burning those matches you know to get to a place where you are going to look at top 10 and then all of a sudden you're in the top five like wow uh congrats to him and uh he 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 deserved that for sure yeah it's too bad we didn't have any tv coverage today because in all honesty it was something you definitely wanted to watch from the battle for second place and then for lucas steerwall going from that last row call up to literally within the last couple laps finally bridging up to fifth place and battling out for it and getting it at the end and yeah he, he sprinted out at the end and uh, he got it fair and square i mean what uh, congratulations to him i mean I, it, it was a good race for him and a solid effort hopefully he's safe from the legs uh, for tomorrow all right so drew you were nervous about the start you were nervous about getting on podium. I'm shaking. But you came away the win, basically getting the whole shot and just riding away. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of rare, the whole shot. But I knew, I like, that was a goal, was like, just get the whole shot, and then every pedal stroke after that, I was like, I'll, it'll play itself out. And ideally, in my head, I was thinking, if I get the whole shot, maybe I'll just go wire to wire and just see if I can. The last couple weekends, I've known that the legs have been there, so take out all the people in front of me on the first lap and, and let the legs just do what the legs can do and I so that's what I did that was my game plan uh, yeah I was just I was super excited that I got the whole shot because at, at that point I was like okay, everything is going exactly how I want it to and it was just a matter of maintaining that so this is not only your first C1 podium ever also your first C1 win what does that yeah. mean definitely a huge confidence boost I mean like I know Curtis and Brunner and all those guys weren't here but it's like when I'm out there racing I had such a good day the legs were there I'm, I'm thinking the whole time man I wish they were here because I felt that good you know like it, you know, it's awesome to win but to see where I would stack up on a good day like today with those guys would have been pretty sweet but I'll have plenty of opportunities to do that but I definitely think it's a good knowing that I can win these kinds of races is a huge boost and just confidence going going forward so yeah 
and taking away 80 points, which oh. doesn't hurt at all. Oh, that's like, I think I just doubled my points almost. I didn't have that many points. I wasn't even first call up today because I don't have that many points. It's strategic. Like, I'm, I'm not going to Pan Am's in two weeks. It's just too far away. Logistically, it would just be too hard. And what I'm, I think what I would have, what I would get there, I probably got more today than I would have. So, you know, you kind of have to like weigh the, the pluses and minuses of a big trip like that. And so we're going to take the most of November to train. We're going to hit Major Taylor next weekend. So hopefully that's another big points grab because I think Caleb Schwartz is going to be there. And besides that, it's going to be a pretty small field again. Besides that, I heard maybe Cody Kaiser might be coming back from a soldier oh, surgery. Scott McGill. Scott, Scott McGill is going to be very hard. I forgot about him, but he's coming off of his off season, so it'll be a tight race. It'll be a way tighter race than today. So, but hopefully, good points next weekend, and then big, big block of training. So hopefully, more points at Hendersonville. And there is rain expected from Thursday on in next weekend? Indianapolis. Yes. Sweet. I love to run. Love to run. That course is so good. When when we have to run that whole bottom section, I love it. Okay. So is there anything about today's course that I don't know? you took away from you know the confidence besides you know obviously going away from the, the entire field yeah i don't really like think of myself as like a one type of rider like oh i'm really good at turns or really good at fitness i feel like i'm pretty well-rounded and this course definitely felt very turny and so it was good to think like okay i'm good at turns after a good day like today but the fitness is obviously there too so I think I only made one mistake and it was like I just dismounted a funny way and fell over. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think a smooth race. I was still pushing it like to the rivet for almost the entire race. Anytime I'm off the front like that, all I can think of is, well, if Curtis were here, it wouldn't be this easy. Or, you know, if X, Y, and Z weren't here, it wouldn't be this easy. So I'm going to keep going hard as if they were here. That's just my mentality. That's how I've always kind of thought of these types of races. All right, so we're here standing with Mark Miles. First off, I have to say congratulations, Mark. You put in a hell of a race today. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. So I noticed on the first lap, you you were kind of in a group. I'm not sure exactly where you were, but it was Dizzle off the front and Fix that were in first and second, and there was kind of a group of you all pretty far back. Yeah, there was about maybe four or five up the road, and I was actually, I didn't get a decent start. Uh, a couple of people kind of were slowing down in some of the technical sections. I let four or five go up the road, and we came through uh, the, the pavement on lap one, and I knew that that was the group I needed to be in for top five or at least to fight for the podium, you know, and I just had to make my foot move to at least get to them, and if not, set on one, uh, one lap or two, and then maybe go to the front and try something or at least set on and let the the alpha guys like start popping people off and yeah i mean i got to them and kind of set on like i was wanting to and they just let those guys punch it for sure yeah i noticed i think it was maybe lap four or five or something there was the two alpha guys that were together and that both of them got out front in your group there and i saw one of them he just kind of let up and i think it was on the straight right over here i know nobody can see me point but uh and you said not today no, uh, I'm, I, I wasn't going to let him do the Powell Sals and uh, Michael Van Torn out and Ellie Iserbit. I wasn't going <laughs> to let him do that because I've seen uh, what those guys do. And, yeah, yeah if it, it becomes uh, a team tactic race, it, 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 
it ends a uh, podium fight for for something, you know, um, and that's what they were doing, going into one of those technical sections, and I was like, no, not today. Yep. Uh, the podium fight's there, so I had to at least go around one of them, and if, if, if they were going to play the uh, team tactics, I was going to blow right, up. So back to that uh, same lap. Uh, I believe it was on the straightaway going into the next lap that you put a huge attack in. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sam's kind of set up a little bit, and I was like, man, Brennan's uh, uh, off the back a little bit, and I was like, I just got to punch it and at least see if, if, if nothing, uh, if they pull me back, then I can set on, try to at least get a third or fourth. But yeah, I mean, that, those last three or four laps were very tough. Um, I was hurting pretty bad on the, the second to last lap, and the last lap I knew I, they were coming for sure because they were fighting for a podium. So Yeah, no, I, I saw that uh, that you were putting your head down, and I kept yelling at you, just ride smart. We're about in front of you. You came out victorious in second place today. I'm happy for you, like I said, and yeah. congratulations. Yeah, thank you guys very much. And is it true that you were running like 40 in the back and then 42 in the, in the front, right? Uh, no, comment, no comment on the PSI. <laughs> so we're here Sunday, day two. At Cincy CX, it's a C2. Ryan, not the kind of race we had yesterday at all. No, it wasn't. It was uh, another dry, dusty, windy day. Wanted to see a little more action, but uh, didn't quite get that today. No, instead we got pack racing. But either way, Caroline Mani, Jenna Linwood, and Hannah Aaronsman all together for the first, gosh, four laps. Yeah, I believe I believe it was about four laps. And then, uh, of course, uh, Mani made a little attack on the... Uh, straight away there and never looked back and uh, then you had a, a battle with uh, uh, Armisen and uh, Linwood. Yeah, it's kind of surprising how like literally those first four laps, Caroline kind of just basically let Jenna and Hannah just take the front every once in a while just to test themselves, but she knew at the end of the day that she had, she had the legs. And she eventually, yeah, like you said, got away. Yeah, I think at one point, I believe we saw her smiling, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, she was, she was just testing to see what the uh, other girls had, and uh, she knew exactly what she was doing. And uh, like I said, she did, she did when she went off the front, she she didn't look back. But it was it was a tight-knit battle between two and three uh, for a while. With about a lap to go, I think we started to see Hannah Aaronsman actually kind of push a little bit of a gap, and then, of course, eventually held on to it. We were seeing a little bit of a battle for fourth place, too, between uh, Emily Warner and Janine. Francis, which uh, kind of didn't really develop a uh, split until about two laps ago. First, Caroline Minnie, second, Hannah Aaronsman, third place, Jenna Linwood, fourth place, Emily Warner, and fifth, Janea Francis. All right, so Caroline, little different story today. Was it the plan to kind of let the ladies race with you a little bit today? No, I think uh, sometime my, my age is speaking. Like, I just, it takes me a little bit of time, like, to warm up a little bit, I think. It, like, the first two laps, I'm just suffering a little bit. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to pay attention and kind of observe it where I can drop them. So I played around, watched, and then I knew uh, where I could, you know, uh, pull the difference. And it's this is what I did. On a hot race today, did it play better to kind of let them be at the front and do some work and tire themselves out? I think I'm a little tired from all the block of, like, racing and going back and forth, you know, going home. Because I have to, like, work and be home. So... Um, next weekend off is going to be probably really nice and I'm excited to for the next race it's going to be the last of the US uh, series that I'm leading so um, I don't have a ton of race left right now so uh, I just you know have to enjoy every single one. So Hannah Aaronsman, how did today go together compared to yesterday? Definitely a lot smoother, got on the wheels that I wanted to be on today, fought a little harder at the beginning. Okay, so you basically you and Jenna were with Caroline for easily at least the first four laps. 
what made you stay what allowed you to stay with that just being as close to the wheels as possible uh, just really minimizing gaps coming out of corners and also giving space for people to mess up so yeah just uh, as much as possible being second wheel if not first wheel you get that third wheel you start yo-yoing a lot c2 race for the men kind of started off a little different than yesterday. Drew Dillman didn't immediately get away, Ryan, where literally it was him and Brandon Fix, kind of a little bit of a gap at the beginning. Yeah, it was a little different yesterday. Uh, Dizzle, I don't know if he just didn't have the legs today. Kind of took it easy, you know, and uh, just settled in, and I think everybody else kind of settled in too, and uh, kind of went just went from there. Where literally it was Drew and Brandon just kind of getting away for a while. Casey Hillebrand eventually making it back into third place to kind of work with Fix once Dillman finally got away. But literally, Dillman kind of ran away once we were talking lap three. Yeah, yeah, he he uh, he definitely puts some real estate in between him and Fick. Gillibrand, you know, from there it was a good battle. Second, but then from there, literally, we literally, I think we can say it was Brandon Fix. I think you got a good view of it. But literally at the line, battle for second place. Looks like Fix got it over Casey Hildebrand. That's what I saw. You know, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have a camera, but uh, it looked like he pipped him just at the line. But it was a heck of a battle. Uh, the whole race, you know, since when Dillman, Dillman put the uh, gap on him, it, it was a uh, battle, you know, between them two. And speaking of battles, we had a battle for fourth place between Mr. J Money, Sam Brown, and Mark Miles, literally for the pretty much the whole entire second half of the race, them just pacing together, realizing that probably third place wasn't coming back, so, you know, the battle for fourth was basically on from there. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to, uh, you know, just see what, what was going through their, their heads as if they, you know, were trying to work together or they're just out there for their own, you know, satisfaction. Looks like I'm pretty sure they were there, there to just, who's going to get fourth place, you know, and Miles dropped off, I think, towards the end. Jay Money, I think, took uh, fourth spot, if I believe. Yeah, Jay Money, uh, fourth place, Sam Brown, who got third place yesterday, uh, taking fifth place. So, yeah, that wraps up our uh, our CCX analysis of this weekend, which I think overall, you know, it wasn't the usual weekend we ever see at Cincy. It was extremely dry. All right, so, Drew, second day, second win. How did it come together? You kind of were working with Brandon for a little bit and then eventually got a separation. Yesterday went so well, I thought, well, let's try to do that again. It was a little bit harder today. I definitely didn't have as much snap as I thought yesterday. And it's like the same course, but I, I guess just from being a little bit tired yesterday, it seemed like Brandon was riding a little better today. The gap didn't open as quick as it did yesterday. Like yesterday by two or three laps in, it was already out, you know, a pretty significant amount. But today it was like I was doing very consistent laps, but the gap was just slowly opening. And eventually after like four laps, it was there. But it was, I was definitely pretty nervous for like three laps thinking like, am I going to blow and they're going to catch me? Because it, it wasn't huge until like, it wasn't pretty decent size until like four laps in. And then I started to get a little more comfortable. So yeah, I was stoked I got the whole shot again. You know, that's always been like a weakness of mine. So that was definitely a goal going into the weekend of like, if it's a smaller field and I can start on the front row, I really just want to blow off the start line as fast as possible and try to lead get out of all the chaos so I was happy about that all right Brandon so what happened today to actually help you get second place compared to your result yesterday I felt a little more turned on today in terms of felt like everything was firing a little more I got some gremlins out of the system yesterday and you know we had a mechanical yesterday and I just wasn't feeling my best and I think trying to put that all behind me and, and come in today with a with a fresh mind and and be focused on the task at hand yesterday we learned Dillman was just on a rampage and kind of today without the expectation of 
trying to stay with Dillman, I felt like I had some more cards to play and I felt a lot more comfortable racing my own race compared to watching it ride away in front of me. Did it make more sense at some point to just stay with Casey and just fight for second place when Dillman started going out? Well, initially, I had, I had tried to gap him when, when that group kind of caught me. We rode around for about a half lap together. It was him and Sam Brown. And I really wanted to try to gap Casey off and, and try to ride around with Sam. And I ended up doing the opposite. I, I gapped Sam off in the woods, and then it was just Casey and I left. And so it kind of came down to I tried to drop him a couple times through the woods. I had one lap where I punched it hard, and I really thought I had the advantage on him there. And he, he just kept, he kept tight to the wheel and... and Really, I kind of knew with two to go, a lap and a half to go, that it was going to come down to a sprint, and I had some, uh, I had some forethought to play those cards right, and ended up throwing them on the line. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Stoked on Spokes podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends about it. Check out our Patreon page for additional bonus content, and follow our Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on all the things we are working on. Until next time, just keep rolling.